If you have your Bible or if you have your Romans journal, and if you never got a Romans journal, we do have a few more right at the back of the aisle here. You can get one of those. We return to Romans this morning after a couple of uh, weeks off, and we're in Romans 1. And if you have your Bible or, again, the journal, I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 23. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 23. We're not covering all of this today. We've covered actually half of that or so already, but to get the context, to understand where we are, let's listen to chapter 1, verses 16 through 23. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness Suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the word of the Lord. I'm so thankful for the past two Sundays. Dr. Sanders spoke two weeks ago out of Ephesians 1 on the blessing of the Trinity. Again, if you weren't here, access that online. If you were here, go back and re-listen. It was a great message on the blessing of our triune God. Last week, our friend Adam Wilson was back, and he gave a wonderful message too. Um, A very difficult and real and honest message on Matthew 12, verses 15 through 21, and how a bruised reed, God will not break. The Lord Jesus won't break. He invites us as we are all broken and, and bruised, or not broken, we're bruised, and, and we are in need of this grace and mercy, and he won't break us. He's lavishing his love on us all the time. He invites us to come as we are. Uh, it was a good, good message, and that too is online. You can access that. But now we return to Romans, and as I mentioned, it's been a few weeks, and so I wanted to reorient us to uh, kind of the bigger context of where we are um, and where the Apostle Paul is going. So just again, sometimes we have to pull up and get the, the bird's eye view, and this is one of the things with Romans. The Apostle Paul is building an argument, and so we need to understand that argument and follow and track it, and so we're going to come up and come down and then kind of do a little bit of, uh, you know, Bible gymnastics, maybe, as we, as we move through this. So, in verses 1 to 7, we saw uh, over a month ago now, 
Paul introduced himself as an apostle, um, uh, introduced himself as someone who's committed to the gospel of, of God, uh, and that's what he's going to be writing about. He, he's been called, and this is his purpose as an apostle, so we were introduced to him in, his, in those themes. Uh, then we looked at um, his Thanksgiving section. So, so Paul followed normal patterns of letter writing, and even though most people didn't write, you know, big, 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 long letters. Uh, this was sort of unique, but, but they did write letters, and they would typically introduce themselves in the beginning and then give a word of thanksgiving for whoever they're writing to and then get into the heart of the letter. And so in that Thanksgiving section, we, we, we learned a lot about Paul. We, we called it some gospel implications, even for our day, things to learn. And then, verses 16 and 17, we spent two Sundays on it, the theme of Romans, which is the gospel of God. So, quick review, what does the word gospel mean? You help me? Good news, not good advice, not a good suggestion, it's news. That word simply, literally means good news. But verse 18, we looked at then next. And it kind of came, it felt like out of nowhere. After this glorious good news of the gospel, we heard the wrath of God. (laughs) And we talked in our last message in Romans about God's wrath and what I call divine fingerprints. God's wrath, Paul writes, is is revealed, but it means grammatically is being revealed. And, And this is hard to hear. We, we maybe have a context to look back in history and think God's wrath. Like we, we think of the stories in our Bible, in our Old Testament. You know, the flood, God's wrath. That's why the flood came, because of sin. God said, that's it. I'm, I'm starting over. I'm picking you, Noah, and your family. And, and I'm going to rescue you and make a way. And, and, but everyone else is, is done. Wrath. God's God's not, not like hot fused temper like I can have, right? But, but his settled, just dealing with sin because he's holy and he's God. He's completely other than us. And, and people turn away. And it wasn't just the time of Noah. There's been other marks throughout history. And we have it again, especially with his people Israel recorded again and again and again where God's wrath came. And again, that's, that language is... Not something we wake up thinking about often. In fact, like today, we're singing and thinking a lot about the love of God, and it's good. We need to. We need to. But we need to also not forget that God is a God of wrath because he's holy and just and righteous. So it's happened. We, we know God's wrath will come also in the future. That, that's part of the end, the eschatos, the last things. When Jesus returns, it will be glorious for those who know him. And like someone said to me, even this morning, almost in tears, this person recounted just being aware of people that, that they know who don't know Jesus, what it's going to be like when, when we, we are taken out and, and, you know, and wrath comes, judgment. God, God will make all the wrongs right. All the sin and evil and hurt that's happened in life, it, it will come to an end one day. And, and then in, in the middle of it all, sort of, sort of middle timeline, God's wrath was poured out on his son. We don't think about that often. I think it was, it was either Adam or Fred last week, but, you know, who? I think it was here. I, I, I can't remember half the things I read and listen and where they come from. But 
Jesus went to the cross, and, and I think it was Adam anyway. Who, who killed Jesus? Well, it was the Romans, in one sense, because they were the ones that, that could do execution. But the Jews were the ones that delivered him to the Romans, so they're responsible. But it's our sin, the sin of the whole world, that caused the Son of God, out of love, to go to pay the penalty. So we all killed him. But the scriptures also say that it was the will of the Father. The will of the Father from eternity past. God sent his Son, the second person. He was sent, right? That's what Fred talked about. God sent the Son and the Spirit. And the Son came, and Jesus even said, I came not to serve, but to be served. I'm sorry. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give my life. So Jesus even knew his purpose was to willingly go to the cross and on the cross, what what happened there? Yes, forgiveness of sins, but forgiveness of sins happened on the cross because God was pouring out his wrath. So for those of us in the room this morning that are believers that have been forgiven and are in Christ and united to him and have the spirit guaranteeing that, that relationship, we've been spared wrath. That wrath that's going to come, we've been spared. We've been spared. And yet, Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed. So we need to talk about that. What? So it's happened. It happened to Jesus. Uh, it will happen in the future, but it's happening. And again, it's a bit disorienting because, oh my goodness, we like Romans 1, 16 and 17. The gospel, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, that, that alien or foreign righteousness that we can't earn, can't get, God gives in the gospel. Hallelujah. Let's just be gospel people, and we are. But we need to know the darkness in order to really appreciate the goodness, the light. So, so Paul's announced this gospel, and then he takes this detour. And, and here's what we got to understand Sorry, friends, it's going to be two whole chapters until he returns to the good news. Romans 3.21. So we're in 1.21 today. We got two whole chapters. And at the rate I'm going, it'll be February. But I promise along the way, we'll be reminded of it. Uh, You're not going to, you know, we're not going to leave here only hearing this. That wouldn't wouldn't be Christian. We, We need to be reminded Every time we gather of grace, of love and mercy, of the cross, that's why we take communion. We're going to sing, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, we're going to sing of uh, God's love at the end today, okay? So don't leave, plus you want some cookie. One commentator writes this, apparently Paul thinks it necessary to make clear just why the revelation of God's righteousness in the gospel is necessary. Only by fully understanding the bad news can we appreciate the good news. So Paul goes to some length to detail for us the nature and dimension of the human predicament. And that's where we find ourselves in Romans. The nature and predicament of the human, I'm sorry, the the nature and dimension of the human predicament. And what he's going to do now, uh, what he started at 118 and what goes through basically 320, is think of it like concentric circles. He's starting very general, and then we're going to see today he moves in a bit to speak to Gentiles, so non-Jews. And again, just put this in context of when it was written, right? The Lord Jesus was Jewish. He's the promised uh, Jewish Messiah, uh, Christ, and he's come, and, and 
Christianity is the fulfillment of what Judaism was to be. And so quite a big deal now to have this new religion of sorts, Christianity, be this, this gathering of Jew, God's people, and Gentile, all the nations, all the ethne, all the ethnic uh, nations in one body, one soma. And so um, for Paul, writing in first century as a Jew himself, being very familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, what we call Old Testament, and very familiar with the world, he's going to think in terms of Jew and Gentile. And so he, he first talks about everyone, all are under God's wrath, but then he's going to start to speak to the Gentile world, and that's where we find ourselves today. But then in Romans 2, he's going to turn and say, hey, listen, those of us that are Jews, don't think we're separated from this business of God's wrath. We too are under, under judgment for our sin. He then starts to come out again in Romans 3, 9, where he starts to speak of everyone again. And so Romans three ten, the first verse in the Roman road, there is none righteous, no, not one. Gentile or Jew, there's no one righteous, no, not one. And then again, finally, in Romans 3.21, and we'll hear it this morning. We have to hear it. He's going to come back to this glorious gospel. So he introduces it, 16 and 17. He's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. It's this outside righteousness that comes. But then he takes this detour into humanity's plight, apart from this. And then he returns in 3.21 to speak of this, this gospel. We could trace this theme throughout these chapters. And again, even though he's going to address Gentiles and Jews, there's still an ultimate target, which is all of us. So in 118, God's wrath falls on all the ungodly, ungodless and uh, uh, wickedness of people. Chapter 2, 9, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. And 3, 9, Jew and Gentile alike are all under the power of sin. And at 319, every mouth is silenced and the whole world is held accountable to God. Therefore, verse 20, chapter 3, no flesh will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. So these verses then, while a detour from this announcement of the gospel, they prepare us yet again for God, for Paul to return to this, this glorious truth of the gospel of God's righteousness. So let's just remind ourselves again, take a look at the screen. We've said this most of the weeks in this series. So the gospel, you already told me, you helped me remember, it's news, it's good news. So the good news, the gospel announcement is shorthand. We, we use it shorthand and it's okay. It's shorthand for the essential Christian message. It is the heart of Christianity. And it's okay to think of it that way. That's how the Apostle Paul thinks of it. Even though there's layers and layers to the details of that announcement, the good news is shorthand for Christianity. And so then quoting J.D. Greer, popular pastor and writer, he says, God in an act of grace sent his son, Jesus, to earth as a man so that through his life, death, resurrection, he could rescue us reign as king and lead us into the eternal full life we were created to enjoy. So that is a short summary of Romans, J.D. Greer believes, and I think it's a pretty good short summary of, of the entire book of Romans. And so again, 
from 118 through 320, we're going to see why we need God to give us this righteousness. Why we can't earn it on our own doing. Um, and again, there's a dark picture of humanity. But again, that, as Tim Keller wrote, wrote it's that backdrop on which the bright jewel of the gospel shines even brighter. So when you're out jewelry shopping this week and you look at that beautiful diamond against the black velvety thing, remember this dark reality that's true of every person in in our world um, is the backdrop that makes the bright jewel of the glorious gospel shine that much brighter. So let's take a look this morning into this, this section. But again, I want, I want to have you kind of note the chunks because 18 through 32, chapter 1, 18 to 32, is the section on the Gentiles. Um, we looked at 18 to 20 two weeks ago, the wrath of God and divine fingerprints, how, again, God's wrath is revealed, it's being revealed because people know about God, God's made it known, but people suppress, they hold back, they they don't want to acknowledge God, and so um, even though he's made it abundantly clear, and and we talked about those divine fingerprints and how he's made it clear, that's his lead-in to talk about the Gentile world. And then at 21 through 32, he's going to highlight... Two big areas that the Gentile world tends to, especially in his day, um, suppress the truth. And we're going to see this phrase, exchange, exchange the truth for a lie. And again, it starts by suppressing, but, but Paul's going to argue. And again, he was, he was Jewish. He had that Jewish understanding of, of the world separated from God's people to everyone else. And in two big ways, he highlights two big ways Uh, in his day, were idolatry, and that's what we are going to spend our time in this morning, 21 to 23. That's the first great exchange of how human sin, and especially the Gentiles, they practice idolatry. And then beginning at 24 through 32, through 31, but 32 is like a summary of it all, he's going to highlight the second main way, and that's through sexual sin. And we will get to that next week. Um, Next week will be PG-13. It is. And so, uh, parents, you know, keep that in mind. But, but Gentiles, Paul says, they suppress the truth. They, they push it down. And they exchange the glory of the immortal God. We're going to see that phrase in a minute. For idols. And they suppress the truth and they, they exchange living by a godly sexual ethic for ways that are very contrary to what God intended. And Paul's going to get to that. And we'll see that next week. So for today, idolatry. And of course, we're all glad that today's idolatry because we aren't idol makers. After all, I always think of the Spaniard from Gladiator. If you haven't seen it, that's, that's the reference here. But but Russell Crowe's character, the Spaniard, early in the movie, he's a Roman soldier and he's at battle. I just restarted this movie this week and uh, it's one of my favorites. And, and he's got a bunch of these little, they look like the size of Lego figures, you know, uh, minifigures, but these little idols 
because he had to worship these little gods and make all these little gods happy so he could, you know, fight and be a good Roman citizen. That's idolatry. We don't do that. And maybe we don't make little idols like that in the United States in 2023. Um, There are places around the world where people do make physical idols still, but it was prevalent in the Apostles' Day, and that's his context. So let's, with that as a bit of a backdrop, let's dive into these verses for the few minutes we have and and say a few things. And tongue-in-cheek, we do have an idolatry problem. The Reformers were fond of saying that our hearts are idol factories. Our heart is an idol factory. And, and I believe it's the Apostle John, he would end one of his letters, I didn't look the reference up, but by saying, children, keep yourselves from idols. So this is something for us too. Okay, verses 21 then to 23. The Apostle is highlighting the first of two main ways that in his day, the Gentile world suppressed the truth of God and and what they made an exchange for. Here it is. For although they knew God, and really that means knew of God, okay? The J.B. Phillips paraphrase um, says it like this. They knew all the time that there is a God. They didn't know the specifics, right? But we, we saw last time, general revelation, his divine fingerprints, his attributes. There's enough out there for people to look at the stars at night to see uh, the way things work in the natural order, that, that there's a designer, there's a creator, right? Among other things. For although they knew God, they knew about God, they knew all the time that there's a God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the first exchange, and this is an indictment from from God through the Apostle Paul. People, especially the Gentile world in his day, suppress the truth, deny it, push it down. They, they, They know that he's there, but but. They don't honor him as God or give thanks to him as God, but their thinking is futile. They, they're fools. I mean, uh, pretty, pretty harsh words, Paul. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And then this phrase, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that resemble mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. This first exchange, and again, this is a phrase you're going to see in this section. This is something to note in your journal, maybe as you read for next week. There's going to be this repetition of um, of exchanging, and then we don't see the phrase in our verses, but we'll see it next week three different times. Therefore, God gave them over, or God delivered them over. They exchanged, therefore God gave them over. God handed them over, and we'll, we'll unpack that next time. But it's going to be three different times Paul's going to make this move. And here in this first exchange, the focus is explicitly on idolatry. People knew, know about God, but they refuse to acknowledge. 
And he goes out and goes on to, to call people out. And, you know, we, th- this is an indictment. And I'm so glad we're sitting in church today and we can say, yeah, Paul, mm. stick it to him. In Psalm 53, Psalm of David, David writes, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So maybe it's not just the Gentiles. Maybe David was thinking of himself too, and not just the Gentiles, but no. This is not a passage for us to sit or stand smug in as we look out. But we do need to see it for what it is. It is an indictment of the way people, I'm not going to believe in God. I'm going to suppress, push down, ignore, and and exchange the glory of the immortal God for things made by hand, by man, by, by people. The glory of the immortal God. I want you just to think about that for a minute. That, that is a wonderful loaded set of words. The glory, the, the majesty and beauty, the renown, the fame, the glory of the immortal God. Not just God, that would have been enough. But, but Paul writes the immortal God. The immortal God. There's one other time the Apostle Paul spoke of God as immortal. It's in 1 Timothy 1.17. In, in a benediction of sorts, he wrote, to the king of the ages, immortal. And then there he goes on, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The glory, the bigness. Remember Dr. Sanders saying, whatever God is, he's, he's bigger than whatever we can fathom. And part of his bigger than, friends, is he's immortal. What does that mean? Well, it's not what we are. We are mortal. We have a start when God made us in our mother's womb prenatal stage of life, which, man, we never get credit for, right? We always start our age when we are born. But, man, we should add eight to nine months onto that time. Except we don't like getting older. As we get older, we want to be younger. But we have a start, and we have an end. We don't know when that end will come. God does. We are mortal. But God is immortal. Our God is immortal. Glory of the immortal God. Paul says, instead of worshiping him and giving thanks to him and acknowledging him and seeking him, no, people repress, push down, ignore, and and worship idols, things made by people, whether it's images of people or birds, creeping things, animals, whatever, people choose to worship. Why is that? Well, it's because we have to worship something. We are made in God's image, male and female. Great truth from Genesis 1, made in the image of God. Every person has this intrinsic value as image bearers of God. And, and remember that too. The next time someone irritates you in your house, on the road, at school, at work, that irritation, that irritating person, they too are made in God's image. 
made in God's image. And as image bearers of God, we, we were made to worship. And, and if we won't worship the immortal God, we'll turn to things. And so in Paul's day, yes, people carved things and, and worshiped them. And that wasn't just something in Paul's day. Paul probably has in mind here what his own people did, which is interesting. He's talking to the Gentile world or about the Gentile world. They're, they're being indicted for their suppression, for their exchange. But, but you remember the story, Exodus 32, the golden calf incident. Those weren't Gentiles. That was Aaron, Moses' brother. Those were God's people who he had just rescued. And yet Moses is gone and, and they can't handle it, and they are drawn back to what they remember from Egypt, and we've got to have something. So Aaron says, okay, give me all your gold, and, and let's make a, a golden calf for you to worship. I mean, it's so easy for me to look at that and just roll my eyes. Because I don't, I don't practice that kind of idolatry. I have my kind, I'll tell you about in a minute. So Paul has that in mind, and that's not Gentiles, or Psalm 106.20 actually talks about that. They exchanged their glory for an image of a bull, which eats grass. That's Psalm 106.20. Jeremiah 2.11 picks that up as well. So, so even the Gentiles, they're not totally immune from this circle here as Paul's making his indictment of people's repression of the truth and where God's wrath is being revealed. But let, let's, let's get out of the world of little trinkets and images just for a moment, because probably most of you, just like me, your idol factory isn't, you know, at, at your tool bench in your garage. Your idol factory, like the reformers said, is in the heart. We were created to worship. We, we talked about one of the fingerprints of God being um, the teleological argument. In other words, this, this notion that things have a purpose, this, this word Teleos speaks of purpose, and there's a reason for things. Well, we are, we could say, telic creatures. We were made for a purpose, and ultimately it's to worship. And if we don't worship God, we, we will worship. We will, we will worship. We will worship our favorite teams. We will worship celebrities. We will worship ourselves. We, we will worship something, anything that becomes the most important thing becomes an object of worship. So, so there's plenty of bad things that we can, we can have as idols in our lives. Um, plenty of sinful things. Again, sexuality, right? Paul's going to get to that, and we'll see it next week. That's a big deal, and we're aware of that. We, we know it's out there, this, this idolatrous focus on everyone's supposed right to, to practice sex the way they want. And if we're honest, some of us have thoughts too that are not in keeping with what God wants and that can be like a pursuit of something and we, we keep it internally. So, so sexuality and pleasure, yeah, that can be an idol. But good things can be idols too. I was thinking um, of kind of this famous um, Tim Keller quote this morning. Um, he wrote once about work. Um, some of you maybe. Your job can be your idol. You love to go to work. You love to work and accomplish and, and you know, and it just, man, it feels good to, to be acknowledged and to do your work that you were made for. And like some of it's like, yeah, we were made for work and, and that can become the most consuming thing. And then there's a lot of us that think that is crazy. But, but some people have work 
as an idol. But anyhow, Tim Keller, very wise, noted how when work becomes an idol, he wrote this. If you make work your identity or idol, if you make work your identity or idol and you succeed, it'll go to your head. And if you make work your identity and idol and you fail, it'll go to your heart. In other words, it'll crush you. Because here's, what, here's what's happening. Idols, friends, they're, they're functional saviors. They're the things we, we turn to. The things we turn to functionally to, to save us, to bring us comfort, to make us feel good. So, again, for me, it's not little, little statues. It's not work. Um, for, for a lot of years, uh, and I've shared these stories, it's been a while, some of you know, food was a functional savior for me. If, if things were good, if it was a good day, man, I deserve a Miss Fields cookie or two. They used to be at the mall. They're not there anymore. The good old days. Or a Cinnabon. Oh, man. Right? So things were good. Oh, yeah. I, I, I would reward myself with some good food. And, man, if things were hard, you know, if it was just a lousy day, man, I turned to food because, man, food brings comfort. That's what we call food comfort food. And... Um, and I had a lot of problems eventually. And so early in the days of Soma, some of you recall, I had two major gallbladder attacks all in six months, um, developed a severe pancreatitis kind of issues, and um, my gut was really messed up for quite a while. And, and God used those, those horrible moments. Again, I've shared this before, uh, but at the time my wife was pregnant with our youngest son, and um, I was in the hospital for the second time with just this horrific pain um, dealing with this gallbladder attack. And um, all I wanted was morphine. You can laugh, it was a joke. But, but seriously, like, I just wanted the pain to go away. Um, and they weren't giving me that pain relief. And I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting because it's the ER in the middle of the night. And, 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 and it's like, you know, I've never heard God speak other than what I read here. I know some of you have experienced things, but, but, but the Spirit revealed some things to me in that moment. And the, the chief was this, you know, isn't it interesting, Paul, that you're in the hospital because of your belly issues, and, and what if your wife were to go into labor and you were to miss the birth of your son? Now, thank you, God, there was a couple months left. But it was a wake-up call um, for me. And, and that doesn't mean it's over, um, I still can be prone to go to food when things are good. Go to food when things are hard. See, it's a functional savior. It meets an immediate need. A good thing, God's given us food and told us to enjoy food. But when, when that good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it's an idol. It's a functional savior. What about you? What, 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 what's the idol factory in your life generating? Just because we have to keep these thoughts in mind, chapter 2, verse 1, where he begins to talk to the Jews, he says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And then he's going to talk to the Jews about their stuff. But it's a good reminder. No, we may not, like... The Spaniard and gladiator make little statues and, and bow down and worship man-made creatures, statues, things. But we 
we generate idols, work. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe that for you is the most important thing. Right? And you'll sacrifice anything for friends. And there's a fine line there. Like, yes, we're to love people and to serve. But, but again, when they become a functional savior, where what we need, when, when it's supposed to be God, he's our God, he's our shepherd, he's our king, he's our savior. Friends, relationships can be functional saviors. Our kids, our job, getting good grades, popularity. I mean, on and on and on. What, what is it in your heart? So God says, the wrath is revealed. His wrath is being revealed. People who suppress the truth, they turn to idols. They, they know about God, but they don't honor him as God. They exchange, make this exchange from the glory of the immortal God for images, whether it is physical images or these images in the heart. But as I said, that, that darkness, right, it's kind of like my case here. It's, it's dark, but, but just as a diamond would, would shine against that backdrop. We'll do one more spoiler alert, not, not for today, right? That spoiler was, we're going to sing about the love of God in a moment, but into Romans 3, where Paul's going to return to that theme he started in 116 and 17, 321. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness that he had said in chapter one is the gospel, what God has done. So if you have idols in your life, God loves you and God wants to work to be an iconoclast, to to smash those up, to remind you maybe today, God, I've been putting good things ahead of you. Or or maybe there's been some bad idols. I can't cover everything. What, What are the idols? What are those functional saviors? What have you exchanged and put ahead of the glory of the immortal God? As Christians... We heard the call of God to repent, believe the gospel, and follow Jesus. And as Christians, that is to be our life. I, God, I, I made this an idol. Forgive me. I repent and I turn back to you and I'm following Jesus. Thank you for your, your grace. Thank you for your love. And he really does love us. That's why he gives us this warning. And that's why next week we'll see yet another dark message, uh, another way, Gentiles in particular, but everyone has suppressed the truth and exchanged. Um, And so that's where we're going. But now we need to stand and we need to thank God for the gospel and for his love and sing of that. So would you stand with me? God, we do invite you to reveal the idols of our life for any way we exchange anything in the place of you and your glory, the glory of the immortal God. Forgive us for being idolaters. Like John said, may we turn from idols. And whatever they are in our lives, reveal them to us. May your spirit work to convict us and reprove us and rebuke us. But thank you for your grace and your love that does that. Just as a good parent corrects Their kids, God, you as a good father, reprove us. We thank you. We need it.
Thank you that you really do love us. Thank you that we can say wholeheartedly, along with John 3.16, that God, you so love the world that you gave your son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not experience your wrath, but have eternal life. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name.